Above, along, inside, and through is really just a metaphor for the the journey of life. You know, we move above, along, inside, and through all, all of our experiences and all of our epiphanies, all of our pain. And I had written a poem of that title that's also individually in the book. And it just felt right. It just felt right. Welcome to Faith and What Resonates, a show that explores the intersection of faith, spirituality, music and art, and the ways that we make meaning. I'm Gail Gallagher, professional musician and lifelong seeker. I'm a member of the Unitarian Universalist Church, and one of our principles is that everyone has their own free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Frankly, I'm surprised there aren't more Unitarians with podcasts. Anyway, on this show, I talk to musicians, artists, clergy, and other awesome people about the way they find meaning in the world as we explore the magic of the things that resonate. My guest today is Lisa Wagner Carollo. Lisa is an actress, writer, teacher, and founding director of Still Point Theater Collective. Fun fact, this is the company that I interned with when I first moved to Chicago. I've known Lisa since I was a wee baby 23-year-old, and it was so wonderful to sit down over a Zoom call and chat with her about her career, her calling toward theater and ministry, and her new book, Above, Along, Inside, and Through. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation, so let's go. I am here with Lisa Wagner Carollo, who I've known since I was a wee baby 22-year-old, um, so this is going to be a very fun conversation. Um, Lisa, can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Gosh, where to? Maybe to start with, began Still Point Theater Collective in 19, a Chicago theater company. And I've been now participating with Still Point Oh, all of these years, all of these years. And then in two years, we're going to celebrate our 30th anniversary. And through Still Point, we do theater with women who are in prison or in jails or coming out of prison and jails. Um, We have a program at a halfway house that has really been flourishing And we do theater with adults who are developmentally disabled. And also, we tour around the country with professional shows about spirituality and social justice. And most notably, I've toured a play for many, many decades (laughs) on the life of Dorothy Day, and that's called Haunted by God. But in my personal life, I'm married to Chris Carollo, and... Also, these days, uh, we're living in Kansas City, even though I've been in Chicago for 30 years. And a big part of who I am is being a support person for my father, who is recovering from traumatic brain injury. And through all this, I've also been a writer and recently published a book called Above, Along, Inside, and Through. And I just love writing. I was in a writing group yesterday. And for me, writing really helps me to move into um, a space where I can discover more about myself and also 
some days discover more about the divine. So that's a little bit about who I am in the world. And listeners, so y'all know, um, I met Lisa, uh, my, so I, I worked with Still Point Theater uh, when I first moved to Chicago when I was 23. Um, and my advisor, uh, Virginia Smith, uh, directed Lisa in Haunted by God. And when I was having my own haunting by the universe she was like you need to intern with lisa and that's how that happened um, gail when was that what year was that, that um you- 2010 was when i moved to chicago all right that's about i was you know reflecting on that earlier today and that's about when i thought it was yeah um, Wow. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to definitely, we're going to dive into the book a bunch uh, today, but I will say one thing I observed in the book when you were talking about working with uh, Imagination Workshop and the wonderful uh, Bobby Torelli, who is a magical human uh, that we, that we work with at Imagination Workshop. Um, But when you were talking about uh, the nostalgia for those moments at Imagination Workshop. And then I was like having the same nostalgia because I felt yes. distance from it. And I thought that was very interesting. Oh, most definitely. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I'm really happy that Bobby Torelli could be part of the book. Mm. That's that's kind of amazing, actually, because he is such an incredible human being. So, yeah. No, yeah. That's, that's wonderful. So your faith is just... I, I've I've always admired how your commitment to your faith has this very it's it's you're very committed to the service of faith and I admire how in your book there is that dichotomy of both the inner world stuff and the this is where I where I connect with other people and see Jesus in other people. And I love that that's always a huge thing that you communicate. I would love right. to if you could sort of talk about that mission of of service and sort of the general like how did this idea of like how can I be Jesus in the world like become a company Mm -hmm. that's a big one (laughs) Mm -hmm. no I hear you I hear you um well to be honest Gail as far as my performing and being an actress I I wanted to be an actress since I was five years old, you know, um, my parents were both very involved with music and theater. And so I just thought this is something that, that is going to be part of my life. I'm going to be an actor when I grow up. But then when I was 15 years old, I was at a church retreat and it's very interesting because I recently reconnected with the person who led this retreat. (laughs) here in Kansas City. And here I am, 15 years old, and I go on this church retreat. And it was the the first time where I understood that my faith, um, my walk with the divine could be a part of my day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. That it wasn't just something that we did on Sundays, you know, because that's how it was in my mind. We always went to church every Sunday, but I thought that's where God lives Sunday morning, you know. And so on this retreat, it was the first time where I saw that that the divine could be part of my day-to-day life. And it just really hit me very deeply. And so 
I became very committed in high school to my faith and to going to Bible studies, to going to different church youth groups. And it was giving me so much life, so much life. So even though I was still in all the plays and I was singing and performing, I really started thinking, well, maybe I should go into ministry. And But it was confusing because I was still this actress and this singer. And then in college, I became very drawn towards social justice and to service. I started participating with our Catholic Newman Center there um, on campus at Emporia State University. And the campus minister was very focused on social justice and also really living out Matthew 25. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was in prison and you visited me. And so I started going on these service trips to work with people who were homeless, and it all made so much sense to me. And the more I read the Gospels, the more I saw, um, or at least this was wakened in me, you know, living out Matthew 25 is a big part of, uh, an essential part of, of living the Christian life. And you may have noticed through the years that I'm a person that likes to just go all in with things. Yes. <laughs> you know, and just to really, if I'm going to say I believe something, then I'm really going to live it. And so I became very committed to really trying to live out Matthew 25 um, in, in everything that I did. And so my vision was starting to get clearer and clearer um, as I was getting close to college graduation. And I realized that I wanted to combine spirituality and ministry with social justice, with performing, with acting and, and singing. And it was a really deep call that I had. And it wasn't that I wanted to do one or the other. I wanted to put all of these together and fully live it out. And I really couldn't find a way to do that as I was getting out of college. So I went and lived for two years in a L'Arche community. Are you familiar with L'Arche? I am. Um, I think um, breaking it down for the audience a little bit would be good. Yeah, yeah. Well, L'Arche means the Ark in French, a place of refuge. And it was started in France uh, probably almost 60 years ago by a man named Jean Vanier. And he took in a couple of men from the local institution who were developmentally disabled and wanted to create community with them. And that's basically what L'Arche is today, creating community with people with developmental disabilities. And I was very, very fortunate in that they were starting a new large community um, here in my hometown of Overland Park, Kansas, just as I was getting out of college. So instead of following this dream that I had, this vision, this call that I had to combine theater with spirituality and social justice, I ended up moving into the large community. And it was, it was a true gift because my friend, Sister Lucy Walter, and I were the first two assistants that lived in the community. And now they have about four different houses and a day program and tons of people. <laughs> and we still, my husband and I still have some connections to them here in Kansas City. But even though I loved L'Arche, I was very frustrated because I miss theater so much. And 
And it was a real struggle. Like, you know, you may know this feeling. I would go to a play and I would just be so frustrated and sad because I wanted to be on stage. <laughs> and I didn't understand it because I felt like in so many ways I was living out truly my call, but the missing piece was theater. And so there was a company that came through Kansas City from Chicago, and they were called Call to Action. And they were combining everything that I wanted to combine as a performer. So I ended up getting an audition with them. And they were just happened to be coming through Kansas City for a performance. And during the interview, something kind of profound happened. Now, just backing up a little, um, I had been reading about Dorothy Day, uh, the Catholic activist who started the Catholic Worker Movement in 1933. And I had heard about her at a church mission that Sister Lucy and I went to. And on the way home, I asked Lucy, I said, tell me more about Dorothy Day. And the more I heard, the more I realized this was the kind of story that I really wanted to tell on stage. This was it. So I got all these books about her and was reading about her. So when I finally had this interview with the Chicago company, in the course of the interview, the director said to me, now, um, Lisa, you may, you may be interested in doing your own projects. You know, members of our company have individual projects that they work on. And I thought, oh my gosh, I should tell them this idea I have for this play on Dorothy Day. So I just started to clear my throat to tell him this idea. But before I could say anything, he leaned forward and said, well, for example, you might be interested in this. We'd really like someone to do a play on the life of Dorothy Day. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm moving to Chicago. <laughs> I, I felt like at that point in my life, uh, with what happened with Larsh and with moving to Chicago and the play on Dorothy Day, I felt like God really dealt with me in primary colors. You know, like, do this. <laughs> Here is your sign. <laughs> Here is the door. Go through it. You know? And, and I find, it's funny because I find, you know, getting older and I don't know, maybe my filters are more muddied, but it feels like it's not, it's not always that clear at this stage of my life, you know, mm -hmm. but back then it was just like, do this, go there. <laughs> Here's the open door, go through it, you know? So I moved to Chicago <laughs> and started working on this play with this company called to action. And then three years later started still point theater collective after I left call to action. So yeah, that's, that's a lot, but that's a lot of, of how I got to the point where <laughs> still point then was born. So, yeah. well, and I, and I love that story and I had not heard the, the, the magical moment of how the Dorothy day play like came together. And that is, that is some ridiculous synchronicity. And I love it so much. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that is. Yeah. And that's and that's um something I, I definitely want to talk to you about the the well, we'll get into the book, but uh, the poem um, uh, Laughing God. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, yeah, well, we'll start to get into the book. I want to talk about the poem Laughing God and then and then talk about the book because <laughs> who needs structure? Um, but um, so. Um, and I'll have you read it, but I wanted to tell you sort of my, my thoughts with that is that I have this very like 
uh, I think of God as an improv pro- partner. Like, ah, like, I, love it. I, I don't love think it. there's such a thing as like, like, I, I think it's, it's, you see the yes and, and then you, you answer it. Right. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. And also God has a sense of humor. And sometimes oh, that's it's like, great. well, here's a weird sketch I've thrown you in. <laughs> Um, so that's what I thought. I really like that image of God as an improv partner. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes God is supportive and other times it's like, here you are, have fun. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. Oh gosh. But yeah, I would love to, one, for you to read Laughing God and then sort of, I want to hear sort of how that came to be. Sure. The book itself. Or the poem itself. The poem God. itself. Let's do the okay. poem. And then we'll do the book. Okay. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Laughing God. Is it true? Have our prayers been answered by a rollicking, rambunctious God who hides herself so we can't hear her laughter? Who absorbs the steam of our prayers and condenses them into answers that baffle and confuse. I labor on the shore, dear God, earnestly building this boat, this boat of my expectations. I dream of sailing to the other side. So why does she seem to shatter and obliterate my boat as I begin my tour, leaving me adrift, floating aimlessly, with a board and a nail. I beg of you now, most omnipotent being, great spirit, Yahweh, Jehovah, God of gods, the great I am, who was, who is, and whoever shall be, let me in on the joke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I I love that one so much. Um, <laughs> oh, great! I'm glad you resonated with that. <laughs> yeah. So so when did that one come about? Like, oh my goodness. Okay, let me think about this. You know, because when you write something, um, it's in a particular moment. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to go back to that moment, but it's it's really not a moment. It's just a number of experiences. Okay. You know, um, I, I think that once I heard that phrase, the sign of God is that you will be asked to go where you didn't, weren't, didn't expect that you'd ever go. Mm -hmm. And I think as human beings, we, we want so badly for everything to fit and for everything to be ordered and to make sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it gets to the point, Gail, I think where we believe that this is possible. (laughs) You know, we get to the point where we're like, I believe this so strongly that things should make sense, that things should be ordered, that things should go as I plan them, you know, that when, when, that we start, our prayers become that way, you know, Mm -hmm. oh God, let this happen. Or, you know, we get this plan and then we say, oh God, please, please, please. 
I beg of you, let this happen because I know it has to happen, you know, because we have so convinced ourselves that this is what we need. And yet I think part of the, the rollicking laughing God is that the universe, the divine creation is so much bigger than all of these little plans that we make and that we think have to happen. It's so much bigger. And the moment of the poem is really just in that moment of frustration, you know, Mm -hmm. like, okay, I've made all these prayers. I've made all these plans. I know that I'm supposed to marry this person and it doesn't happen, or I'm supposed to get this job and it doesn't happen. And, and, you know, all of that is going to be smashed. Hmm. And life is going to give us something very, very different. You know, I'm quoting that great philosopher, um, Mick Jagger. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We we can't always get what we want, but maybe we get what we need. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um. <laughs> so I think I think that's it. That that it's just like this frustration that that God just does not meet our expectations and follow our plans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and God is a scene partner, and sometimes it's like exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I also believe that it is good to, you know, mix some humor into our spiritual lives. Most definitely. That humor comes up all the time. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Your your comment made me think of, so, so the person I quote all the time and people who listen to my stuff and are keeping track, so maybe like one person, uh, <laughs> well, no, but I really like to quote Richard Rohr. Uh, oh yes yes okay yes uh father richard Rohr is like i i think that's really like helped me get a grip on my you know recovering catholicism is is his stuff because yes so thoughtful but he always talks about the idea of order disorder and reorder as like Mm -hmm. this core spiritual practice and it's like yeah so you you part of it is going from that place of order to the disorder and then putting it all back reorder yes and that's why i was saying the poem is in that moment of frustration because it doesn't go on to say that maybe that board and a nail is going to carry you somewhere that's more advantageous you know but you know but i don't want to be overly simplistic because sometimes it it won't Mm -hmm. sometimes you're just kind of left going don't get it I don't get it, you know, and, and I, I just want to be careful not to oversimplify things because our, our experience is so complex as human beings, you know, so. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's it's like that, uh, I've been following, uh, Kate Bowler's content and her, her podcast is called everything happens after her book, everything happens with for a reason crossed out. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Someone else was telling me about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. And Richard Rohr, I just, just read the universal Christ. It was incredible. Yeah. So I, I, I love, I love his stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So segueing back to the overall picture of this book. So it mm-hmm. is, so it's called above along inside and through. Yeah. Um, can you uh, break down the title for the listeners? Sure. Above along inside and through is really just a metaphor for the the journey of life. You know, we move above, along, inside, and through all, all of our experiences and all of our epiphanies. 
all of our pain. And I had written a poem of that title that's also individually in the book. And it just felt right. It just felt right um, to name it that. So, yeah. Yeah. When you were working on the book, how did it all come about? Because I know that these these are all like uh, poems and prayers and reflections from like a long span of time are reflecting on a lot of different moments in your life. Yes. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, w- what is like the time span on this? Like how long have you been sitting on this? It's really interesting. <laughs> oh my, I, I think it includes work, um, things that I wrote starting probably around 1990 Okay. and moving up until I started compiling everything I'd written in 2009. So almost 20 years. And so there are places in the book where the publisher and I decided to include the date. Mm -hmm. Um, And that usually is there if for some reason it's not something I would write now, Mm -hmm. but we felt like it was still something very important to include. Yeah. Um, from a very different stage of my life. And I think that what it, that is a very interesting thing of the book. It's it's like my late 20s up through my, my late 40s. So the time that it encompasses. And I started compiling it in about 2007. I had gotten to a point where I had done a great deal of journaling through the years and been in various writing groups When I was in high school, I fell in love with writing and that just continued, but I decided not to make that a a very focused career as as a journalist or a writer, but to to go on the path that I I explored in my life. But that whole time I was continuing to write, especially after uh, in 1982, when my brother, um, my older brother, Mark, Mm -hmm. um, took his life. And our family suffered through that unspeakable tragedy. And through the years in my healing from that, I would write. And so by the time I got to this point in 2007, where I felt like maybe looking through what I'd written through the different journals, through the different pieces I'd written in writing groups, it was my hope and prayer that compiling them could be something to help other people on their journeys. And and I remember I was feeling very frustrated because my life in the theater is, is so all-consuming, you know, and has been through the years that I was feeling frustrated that I didn't have time to work on the book or on my writing. And so in 2007, in the summer, um, to get myself jump-started, I went on a retreat in New Mexico with Natalie Goldberg, who wrote oh. Riving Down the Bones. Nice! <laughs> Just Natalie Goldberg, yeah. (laughs) Did you know that, Gail? I didn't know you got to hang out with Natalie Goldberg. That's oh yeah, yeah. Ah. (laughs) Now, if you had said if you had said Julia Cameron, I would have lost my mind even more. Natalie Goldberg. (laughs) Well, well, I had always admired her and her book, Writing Down the Bones, Uh and. And her practice of, uh, well, what she calls writing practice, Mm -hmm. doing timed writings uh, and really trying to get in touch with your, as she says, wild mind was just so profound to me. And it was a practice that we we shared a lot in our work with 
women in prison and women coming out of prison. We would do writing practice with them. Mm-hmm. So well, I think it was one desperate morning when I was feeling frustrated about my writing. I I looked up Natalie and saw she was giving a writing retreat in summer of 2007. So figured out somehow a way to get there. And, and it worked. It was a real catalyst for me to start focusing once again on compiling my writing into something. I had the idea of a book. And I remember one thing that Natalie said was she said, as far as structure, if you have a lot of things you've written and you're trying to find the structure, she said, let it come very organically. Mm-hmm. Don't don't force it. The structure will come to you if it's the right one. And I looked at everything I'd written and it was just <laughs> so different. It was poems, it was prayers, it was uh, short prose writings and all very memoir based because that's really what I write about. I write about my own experience. And, and so I remember one day um, I was driving around and had maybe just been reading some of the poems for the book. And one was the poem above along inside and through. And I remember it just hit me. I thought that's the structure for the book above um not the best metaphor, but one that just seemed to work for life with the divine, along looking at relationships inside, exploring our interior life and through getting through very deeply painful experiences, such as my brother's suicide. And it just hit me. I was like, okay, organic, that's it. That's the structure for the book. <laughs> And and what, you know, it was interesting because I kept in touch a little with Natalie just by emails. Mm-hmm. And some days I would get back after I met her in 2007, I would get back from a, a really good session at the prison where we did timed writings and did her writing practice. And I'd send her an email and I'd say, we just had the best session doing writing practice at the jail. And, <laughs> and she would write back, oh, that's that warms my heart. Thank you so much, you know. Um, and I still just greatly admire her, greatly admire her. Um, I just um, read one of her recent books about her um, battle with cancer. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, ha, that's so cool. Because I knew we were doing her stuff, but I, uh, I we, were do, we were using uh, her writing practices in um in the uh, prison program but i didn't realize that you'd worked with her that's really cool (laughs) yeah just a little bit and i'm sure there's you know hundreds of people who are saying that too oh yeah i work with that yeah (laughs) But, but she's very you know her teaching is um what i've learned very key for her you know her teaching and so you know um she's very supportive of anyone who's been her student for sure. But let me just read that poem. Absolutely. Above, along, inside, and through. I trace my finger along the mountain ridge. The trees gently bend beneath my touch. My hands smooth the tops of the mountains and tickle the laughing waters. I part the foliage and I find myself hidden under green leaves, so small, shaking, in awe of the vastness, still 
I move above, along, inside, and through the mystery of creation and myself. <laughs> and, and I do think that that mystery is, is really key to many of the movements in the book. So We'll be back to my conversation with Lisa Wagner Carollo in a minute, but I wanted to quickly tell you about what's happening with the New Faith New Media Network. As you know, the show is produced by New Faith New Media and Interfaith Podcast Network. We just launched our crowdfunding campaign to help us pay for an amazing new website. This website will include our very own discussion forum where folks from different faith backgrounds can build community, discuss New Faith New Media shows, and connect on other topics as well. Shout out to Susan Lavelle, Katie Oberly, Al Cole, and Lori Morrison for their donations so far. You can find out more about the campaign and how you can support by heading to bit.ly slash nfnmindie. That's B-I-T period L-Y slash N-F-N-M-I-N-D-I-E. And that link is, of course, also in the show notes. Thank you for your support. Okay, back to the conversation. The language of the divine you use is so approachable and it's so embodied and there's like this this authenticity to it that is that just really worked for me. Um <laughs> And, yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm really glad to hear that because um, yeah, I was rereading some sections, and I was so pleased to see that sense of not knowing hmm. is woven so much throughout the book. The mystery, you know, not like okay, this is how I see God, and this is how I see living a Christian life and it's just kind of frozen and I have to keep living up to that. But it it shifts and it changes through experience. And there's days when we we feel like, or at least I do, that I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, a friend of mine used to say that from Hogan's Heroes, Colonel Clink was his spiritual director. I know nothing. I know nothing. You know <laughs> But but I really I really believe that there are experiences, there are people, there are moments when we're alone in prayer where there is a very, very strong sense of God walking with us and God's presence and moments of epiphany where we have realizations that will will be with us all of our lives. But I think interwoven in all that is our our doubt and our not knowing. And I don't even know if I would call it doubt, just not knowing, mm -hmm. being puzzled, you know. And, and then new things happen to us. And then we have to reshape how we see God, how we see ourselves, how we see the world, yeah. things we wouldn't, wouldn't have ever expected. So... Yeah. Yeah. And yet that's not discounting 
the fact that there's real moments of deep connection with the spirit, with other people, with ourselves. And those are real as well. Yeah. So, so I, I guess I feel like approaching the topic of spirituality and sharing my own experiences. I often say um, when I feel like I'm on holy ground or sacred ground, take off your shoes and hum- humility, you know, and admit there's a lot we don't know. Yeah. One thing that I noticed, um, so in, um, in your book, look at me citing my sources. Um, so I was looking at safe veiled space. Um, and I noticed there was this whole, well, first of all, um, definitely I want to hear, hear you read that. And then I wanted to, um, just sort of talk about this, uh, maiden mother crone theme that's popping up. Um, because I think that's sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. It's interesting after the book came out, um, a friend of mine had a dear friend that was working at a senior center Mm. and they wrote and asked if they could publish this one in their newsletter. (laughs) That's sweet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was this one. Okay. Sure. I'll read it. Safe veiled space. Wise creator, the mystery of aging and change befuddles and awes me. One evening, as I enter a crowded room, I am suddenly struck by the beauty of a sea of chiseled faces, all graced with graying hair and a small inkling of the wisdom of your plan, creator, teases my soul. I struggle to tether this flash of insight, to place it under my microscope, to study its intricacies so that my own graying hair will not befuddle me so. But the mystery thrashes from my hands and returns to its ethereal home. Perhaps, great spirit, The goal is not to understand growing older, to comprehend aging, but only to fully dwell in the skin I am given at whatever juncture I discover myself, to give thanks for the pimply adolescent skin, the 25-year-old glory, and the dawn of the gray. Maybe this mystery will be revealed only in small moments, Moments where, swimming in middle age, I look backward and forward, taking the hand of the skinny little girl with the pixie and the hand of the wise old crone with the curious eyes. The crone who winks at me through mirrors of years. Slowly, She draws me forward with her velvety, wrinkled hand into a safe, veiled space. I love it so much. And I think what I love about it is the 
com- this theme of like one recognizing your aging and and two like holding compassion for your past self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Is that a is that a, a a newer one that you've written, or do you know where you were? <laughs> where you were on the dichotomy when you wrote that? Mm. Well, my hair started going white <laughs> a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. I'm 57 now, almost 58 mm. next month. And I'd say maybe about seven years ago or so, it started, started mm-hmm. the white started coming in. Um, and so it might have been... Shortly before, you know, I started compiling, mm. compiling everything together because, um, oh, I don't know, you know, I, but I was having, not to get too technical, but I, I was having wisps of gray pretty early, even before, you know, 10 years ago or so. Yeah. And so you've, you've had gray hair the entire time, don't you? Yeah, really? Okay. So, so I, I guess so. it's a, <laughs> but, but I got married in 2007 and it's just looks totally dark. It's, it's crazy. I can't even believe that's me, you know? So, <laughs> um, so it's, I was having trouble placing that getting a little too technical here, but um, I mean, and even now I think moving into another stage where I'm looking at 60 down the pike really soon, it's, you know, you want to be all spiritual and say, oh, you know, it's going to be, I'm I'm not getting older, I'm getting better or whatever, to use this old phrase from the 70s, you know, and, but, but there's times where there's, a, there's a lot of struggle for me about, about getting older. And I've chosen to keep my hair white, not to dye it. And so it's just kind of there every day staring at me <laughs> that I'm getting older. And and so I think, but I think that comes up not only when we're approaching 60, but when we're approaching 50, when we're approaching 40, when we're, mm-hmm. for some people, when they're approaching 30, mm-hmm. you know, they're panicking about, about getting older. And I, I just think it's a constant uh, tension. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully it's not going to be the constant tension that just overwhelms every thought we have and everything we do but it can be just kind of in the background there as as we're we're moving through the different decades in my spiritual life I do believe that I'm an an eternal being and so really trying to keep it in that perspective in an eternal perspective can be very comforting and also to know that, like in the poem, this crone that is drawing me forward is the person that I will be um, maybe 30 years from now and will be someone who has grown in ways I can't imagine right now. So to, to really fully accept the fact that so much of what our culture says about aging just really isn't accurate. I mean, it's no fun to have the very real losses of losing a lot of friends who are dying and Mm. feeling alone when you're 85 years old, because most of your friends have died or 95 years old. Um, There's the very real breaking down of the body um, that has to be dealt with. 
but that that's not always the whole story that, that there's depths that perhaps I will have in 30 years that I don't have now and understandings that I will have that I don't have now. So being open to letting that crone draw me forward is something I would, I aspire to, I would say on good days. On good days. Yeah. (laughs) And I love the image of, of the, of the crone uh, too, as like the ultimate, like voice of, of inner wisdom. Like, I think that resonated with me as the sort of like, I, well, I, I mean, I, uh, the, this inner voice, I have an inner, I call my inner voice of wisdom. Like it sounds an awfully lot like my mom, but isn't my mom, (laughs) you know? Um, but yeah. And, and Yeah. yeah. And, and so it is, it, so I attributed that the crone as that, as that, like, eternal voice of wisdom that which you almost which you eventually I guess level up to (laughs) yes and and you know what I find so astonishing about our culture and Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and this whole worshiping of youth and not being honest about how old we are if we're embarrassed by it or whatever is that we're all on the same life cycle and it's like it's not like any experience I mean everyone is going to go through this life cycle and that I don't understand why we, we, that's just so plain, you know, that we don't just accept that and, yeah. and try to find the, the, the growth in that. So, hmm. yeah. 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 No, it's just, just a beautiful piece. Let's see. Um, mm. So I wanted to talk about um, switching, switching gears a little bit. Um, so there's this, story in in your book where you talk about um the the Jean Donovan piece and bringing her story to life in um in theater and and um well for and uh mm-hmm. that just made me in general think about um so I love playing uh characters that are uh for source or characters that you are performing uh, their words or mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, people who've existed and um, there's this reverence and there's this honor and there's this sort of spooky quality to it, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm curious in your experience playing Dorothy Day, playing Jean Donovan, um, have you had any int- interesting like channeled moments with them or how do you, what's your relationship with these, these first source characters like? Well, again, approaching these characters, you you definitely have to approach them with a lot of humility. And by the way, you, we did a reading, didn't we, where you yeah. played Jean? I did. I did play Jean. And I, 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 and I, it, I'm, she, she came, she, like, I had a channeled moment with her, is right. I would just say, <laughs> which, which, Acting wise, I think you know it could be attributed to um, uh, this moment where she is. Uh, she was like it. It was. It was the she found out her friend's her friend had died, and there's the breaking of the cigar. I think it was the the moment of where I had to break this cigar and like lose my my stuff. Where that that really like embodied and put me in the character. But I also it was a very 
it was a very spiritual moment. And I had that with Rachel yes. Corey as well. Um, when I played Rachel Corey, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and the during the phase where I kept playing outspoken white women who went to foreign countries and got killed, because that's a character type. Um, oh, right, right, right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, um, but with both of them, like, I had these these moments where it was like, I, am I channeling you? Is that what's happening? <laughs> and I, yes. So I'm curious if you've if you've had any of those sort of moments because it's such an interesting thing. Mm. Oh gosh. Um, there's a measure of humility when you're playing somebody who who has walked on this earth for real, <laughs> and um, and a little courage because. Because you aren't going to do it perfectly, you know. There, you. I'm not going to have every gesture of Gene Donovan, of Dorothy Day or Gene Donovan down, you know, to the nth degree. Or I'm not going to be the memory that people who knew her have of her, you know. Um, and yet, you tell yourself just get out of the way and share this story because it's so important to share. And so that becomes secondary almost um for everybody to praise you and say oh you it was just like I remembered her or whatever <laughs> because that's rarely going to happen that's rarely going to happen um and I don't know if I would I would call it channeling so to speak but my sense of for example portraying Dorothy Day is that the only reason I'm doing that play and sharing that with audiences is because of who she was and how she lived and how important it is to model that and important it is for us to remember that this is possible for how we can be in the world, to be of service, to be courageous, to um, fully follow what we believe our call is. Um, and so, so that's very important. And so for me, it's needless to say, I mean, stating the obvious, it's ministry, you know, to get on stage and portray Dorothy Day. And so in any ministry I do, I often say, Holy Spirit, this isn't about me. This is about you. <laughs> Help me to let go and just, just work through me. <sighs> to be totally honest. Um, and I don't know if that sounds, I don't know how that sounds, but that's my reality. Yeah. <laughs> that's my reality. And, and so in some ways, since I believe Dorothy is so, and was so connected to the Holy spirit. And I feel like we come together even in that moment, mm. um, on those shows where I can just really let go. And, and there's times when you're just, you can't, it's harder to get there, you know? And, it, and even that sounds like something that is up to me. Um, but there's sometimes, you know, where I don't feel it as strongly, but many times I do just feel that, that accompaniment of the Holy Spirit when I'm performing. And that's, that's really what is most important to me, mm. you know, on a deep spiritual level. I mean, we're all human and there, of course, I don't want to get up and do a horrible show and, you know, mm. have people throw vegetables at me. <laughs> <laughs> Not ideal. <laughs> 
know, <laughs> and um, but essentially that is what's most important to me when when I'm performing, when I was performing the Gene Donovan piece, and um, you know I finally have a show of Dorothy Day on December sixth. It's it's my first show since COVID has hit, mm-hmm. so. I'm so happy and excited to be getting back on stage again. So <laughs> I'm really thrilled. So, yeah. So, so I guess that's the experience I sometimes have. And, and with Dorothy Day, it's a very unique experience. It's kind of like Yul Brenner and the King and I, you know, I've done it now for three decades, Gail, which I can't even believe that's just crazy to me. Um, and, and so it's just part of the whole show, the whole experience, sharing her story is just part of my DNA now, Mm. just part of who I am. And so it's, it's just, it's a very close, um, weaving point in my life, very close weaving. And, and I used to worry because I, and I still sometimes worry because, um, I, I started doing this show when I was 26 and, um, and then as my hair started going white, I started getting concerned. Oh no. But now when I show up to do a performance, it's just exactly what people expect. <laughs> <laughs> They're expecting to find a woman with white hair like Dorothy had. So it, it still works, you know, I hope and pray. So yeah. <laughs> No, it's, uh, uh, that is such a cool, that, that, that's what I've always thought is very cool is that you, you just like, you grew into this character. Yes. In such a way. Um, yes, yes. I, I definitely, I definitely have been. And so it's, it'll be interesting to see when getting back to the character um, after this long, the longest break I've ever had of not doing the show with COVID, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see um, what unfolds when I get on stage. Yeah. Some new things. There's always something new, even with something you you've done so long, you know, if you're truly embodying the character and being, staying in the present moment, you're going to discover new things, even a play you've done 30 years, you yeah. know? So. Yeah. And that, yeah. and, and the idea of, of being in service to the character, being in service to the story is, is such a, is such a key way to think about things like, you know, it's, 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 and just, and it is so important as a performer of any type, I think, to just be reminded, like, it's like, it's not about you. <laughs> exactly. You know, we had an actor, we, uh, we have an actor with still point now, Nate Smith, and he was about to go on stage to do a, a one man show that mm-hmm. um, we did for Catholic charities on, um, on senior O'Grady. And, and he, t- he still laughs when he remembers that I told him this. He was about to go on. And I said, well, just remember, this isn't about you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he has a, a spiritual arc as well. And so he, he thought he, that really, he was like, he said, I'll never forget that. When you told me that right before I walked on And I said, well, it's really, when you do this kind of work, it's really not, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, um, as we are winding down, I'm going to ask the question that I like to ask all my guests, um, because I'm all about describing like the embodied presence of how we perceive the divine. Where does inspiration live in your body? Well, I think I have a couple different answers to that. (laughs) Um, 
I would say that for me, inspiration lives in my body, in my heart. And there's times when I'll be on stage and and like maybe I've just forgotten the line or, or flubbed something, you know, and then I think, well, wait a minute, it's not about me. You know, this is about sharing love with the audience. And so I really try to focus on my heart and to open my heart and to know that this moment is unique and it's a gift and to just be in that moment. Hmm. But I also feel like, for example, I, I can tend to hold tension in my shoulders when I'm stressed out or and I'd say inspiration can live in that tension as well, mm. in the, the stress. And I think it's those two things working together where inspiration can um, grow, you know, opening our hearts, trying to love. And, and to love, to love, to love. Um, just to own up to the fact that some days I can just say to myself, that's why I'm here, to love, you know. But then to know that I'm living a human life and there's going to be tension, there's going to be stress, there's going to be pain, there's going to be grief, shattering grief. And that that tension in the shoulders makes me think of all those challenges. Mm. And so it's the dance of those two things working together that that gives me inspiration and where I think creativity grows and can emerge from. You know, that's a that's a really that's a really beautiful answer. Um <laughs> Also, I I was like laughing to myself because I hold a lot of stress and tension in my back, and uh, because I go and I go whenever I go to the the chiropractor and stuff, they're just like, you hold the weight of the world on your shoulders, and I'm like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean that that phrase came from somewhere, you yeah. know, <laughs> where a lot of us, you know, what well, a lot of us do. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Well this is this has been a really beautiful conversation. Is there anything um that you wanted to to say before we, we close up or any anything we didn't cover or yeah. Well just if if your listeners are interested in reading the book, um yes. <laughs> the I think the easiest way to find it is to go to the Still Point Theater Collective website. Um Still Point Theater Collective um, with an R-E. <laughs> not sure why I did that, but I spelled theater with an R-E and not an E-R. Um, <laughs> but on our press page, um, you can click on a link um, and go to the page where the book can can be obtained. So Awesome. And I'll put that link in the show notes yeah. as well and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was so great to reconnect. Oh, this has been wonderful. And and just one last thought. I I think universally, let's all just try to be gentle on ourselves. 
let's just make that agreement. And <laughs> that's just a parting thought. So absolutely. Let's all be gentle yeah. on ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> at least try. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Faith and What Resonates. The theme song is My Journey, My Song, the first song I wrote back when I was 19. Thanks, Past Gail. You can find out more about Lisa's work and how to connect with her in the show notes. Faith and What Resonates is part of the New Faith New Media Network. You can discuss this and future episodes in the New Faith New Media Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash NFNM group. You can also follow us on social media and those links are in the show notes. If you want to support New Faith New Media, you can support our crowdfunding campaign at bit.ly slash NFNMindie or support by becoming a patron. All Patreon supporters get access to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Blessed Lunatics, where we explore the divine through laughter, which means we usually drink and share stories and make jokes about our different faith backgrounds, and it's a good time. Finally, if you want to find out more about the things I do in the world, head over to gailgallaghermusic.com. Thanks for listening, and remember to stay curious and follow the magic of the things that resonate. New faith, new media. Theology. Nerdery. Community. Meow. Yeah.